All right, Luke 6, just to remind you where we've been, Jesus is creating a new wineskin, and that new wineskin is a new community. Here's a new way, a new understanding of what it means to be the people of God. The first thing he does, I'm going to take 12 of my guys, and I'm going to appoint them as apostles. They're going to be messengers. They're going to help me spread this good news. And then he introduces everybody to this new community, to this new wineskin. And the first thing he says is looks can be deceiving. In this new community, looks can be deceiving. Those who we think may be blessed by God, the rich, they actually may be in danger from him. When you're rich, it's easy to forget that you need God. And so those of us who are doing well need to be careful. We need to be aware and make sure we're cultivating a heart of dependence upon the Lord. And also those who we may say, oh, they've been forgotten, they've been stepped on, they've been bypassed, those very well may be the ones who are receiving God's favor. The poor recognize their need for him, and so that puts them in a position to receive his grace. Last week, David Scott talked about love. That's the key uh, hallmark of this new community. Before anything else, we're going to love, and we're going to love well. And we're not just going to love the people in our club. Everybody does that. We're going to make a point to love people on the outside, even people who we would consider our enemies, who persecute us, who abuse us. We're going to make a point to love them because God loves them. And we want to be like him. So now we're going to pick up in verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? The answer is no. Will they not both fall into a pit? The answer is yes. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? That's a great question. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Excuse me, to take out the speck. That is in your brother's eye, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure uh, in his heart produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks." So uh, walking back, Jesus says, we're going to love everybody, we're going to love our enemies, we're going to love one another. And we're not going to be the kind of people in this new community. We're not going to be the kind of people who are overly critical of others. We absolutely can evaluate, you know, a tree by its fruit, but we're not going to be the kind of people who point out other people's flaws to push them down in order to elevate ourselves. I'm not going to point out the areas where you're struggling in order to make myself feel better. That's judging. We're not we're not doing that. We're not going to condemn. If someone is guilty, it's not our responsibility to punish. It's our responsibility to forgive. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to wink at sin at all, but we recognize that judgment is God's and it's not ours. And so we're not going to hold people hostage when they sin against us. We're going to give to anyone who has need. We're going to make a choice. We're going to live in this community of grace. We only have two choices. I'm either in the community of judgment or I'm in the community of grace. And if I'm in the community of grace then God's going to give back to me exponentially, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And if I'm in the community of judgment, guess what? God's going to give back to me exponentially. 
breast down, shaken together, and running over. What he's going to say, in essence, is I guess you're doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so if you're choosing to hold grudges, if you're choosing not to forgive, if you're choosing to be stingy, if you're choosing to be overly critical, I guess that's how you want to be treated by me. Whatever measure you use in treating other people, then that's the measure I'm going to use when I treat you. Is that workspace righteousness? No, not at all. We love because God first loved us. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant, Matthew 18. You can read it. I go to the king, and I owe him $10 million and say, I can't, I can't repay it ever. And he has mercy on me, and he forgives me. And then I see Dawn walking down the street, and she owes me $10. And she says, I can't repay it, never, ever. And I say, too bad, you're going to jail. You can't do that. If I'm going to be in the economy of grace, this community of grace that says, God, I need you to treat me not how I deserve, but based on your grace, giving me good things that I don't deserve, based on your mercy, withholding from me punishment that I do deserve, then I've got to be willing to extend that same grace and mercy to others. If I'm not extending that grace and mercy to others, then God's assumption is, well, you're not living in the economy of grace. You've rejected my grace for you because you're not extending it to anyone else. It's not works-based righteousness. It's just God saying, I'm going to treat you the way you treat others. I've loved you. I've pulled you into my family by my grace. You extend that to other people. I'm going to keep giving grace to you exponentially. But if you choose to be overly critical, if you choose to hold grudges, if that's how you're going to work, then that moves you over here here into this community of judgment. You're going to be like your teacher, Jesus says. Eventually, we're all going to be like our teacher, so pick the right one. Jesus is the teacher in this community of grace. Eventually, we want to be like him. So how come sometimes it's easier for me to see the log in your eye than the speck in mine? Maybe I just lack self-awareness. I'm I'm, I'm blind. It's lettuce in my teeth. I just can't see it. It's the best case scenario. Jesus jumps to the other end of the spectrum. It's because you're a hypocrite. It's a word from the theater. You're play acting. You're wearing a mask. The reason it's easy for you to see the log and some the speck in someone else's eye and not see the log in your own is because your insides and your outsides don't line up. What you're trying to do is point out flaws in other people in order to elevate yourself, to make yourself feel better. And you're unwilling to look at your own heart and see the places where you haven't quite measured up to Jesus yet. The places where you haven't quite become like your teacher, by the one that you're following. But eventually, all of that's going to work out because a tree's known by its fruit. You can't hide that for very long. If there's, if there's not good stuff going on in your heart, eventually that stuff is what's going to come out. And if there's good stuff going on in your heart, eventually that good stuff is going to come out, both in your words and in your actions. So you hear that, and that can sound like Sunday school when you were eight. Be nice to other people. That's it. Or, and this is where I think we're going to land, I feel like this is a key dynamic if we want to see our community transformed by God. It's not, Jesus isn't just saying be nice to other people. I think what he's saying is in this new community, we're going to so love each other, we're going to love each other so well, and we're going to love people outside of our community so well, we'll begin to see things transformed. When I thought, I thought about this whole idea of community transformation for about 15 years. And as I've thought of that, I've often thought of behaviors. We'll know our community is transformed when we see certain things. Fewer people getting divorced. Fewer kids being aborted. More 
students graduating from high school who are prepared for college or career. More businessmen and women seeing their businesses as an opportunity to serve others instead of just enriching themselves. Those kinds of things. But all of that's just uh, its fruit. It's behaviors. It's, it's symptoms, if you like that. In, in Jesus' words, I've just been looking at fruit. I haven't been looking at the tree. And according to him, if the tree's not good, the fruit's not going to be good. And I've been trying to figure out, I've got apples here. How do I make them oranges? And I can't make them oranges by playing around with the fruit. When Jesus talks about good and bad, he's saying this fruit is good. It's, it's healthy. It fits. It's useful. Bad. It's diseased. It's not worth anything. It's useless. And when I look around at some of the fruit in our community and the things that I want to see changed, my tendency has, to, has been to say, well, how do, I change the, how do I change those behaviors? I'm starting at the wrong end. What I need to say is, how do we get a healthy tree? And I don't know all of the answers to that. I don't know the full picture of what it means to get a healthy tree, but a key part is relationship. Healthy relationships, that's a healthy tree. Primarily vertically, absolutely. We want to see more people living in the fullness of a relationship with God, but also horizontally, the way we love one another and the way we love people outside of our church community also has a huge impact on a healthy tree. When Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment, he says, love God and love people. He answers both. We can't separate those two things from one another. They're inextricably bound. Loving God and loving people. If I love him, I'm going to love others. He says, if you say you love me and you don't love other people, the love of God is not in your heart. I think that's in 1 John. And so what I want to recognize and what I want us to recognize, something that could be third grade Sunday school, be nice, can also have the power to transform our community if we begin to put into practice this idea of saying we're going to love each other and we're going to love other people really well. We're not going to be the kind who are overly critical. We're not going to be the kind who condemn. We're going to be the kind who forgive. We're going to be the kind who give. And as we choose to do those things, we open ourselves up for God to, to pour out on us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over even more grace and even more mercy. And it's not just for us. It's for all of the people who we're in contact with. So if you want to grow and if you want to see your community transform this whole idea how do, I, how do I live this out becomes very important. Let me give you a little handhold. There are these two psychologists back in the, I think it was the 50s, and they created this thing called the Johari window, which allows people to see themselves and to really see how other people perceive them. So here's a list of 56 adjectives. Most of them are positive. And here's what you would do. We won't take all the time. You would go through this, and you would pick five or six, and you would say, that's me. So you would say, I'm brave, and I'm cheerful, and I'm witty, and I'm powerful, whatever. You'd pick five or six words. And then you'd take seven or eight people who know you, and you would say, you pick five or six words that you think describe me. So I'd ask Misty, and I'd ask Brandon, and I'd ask JD, and I'd ask Kim. I'd ask people who work with me, people who live with me, people who are my friends, and say, look at this list and write five or six that you say describe me. And then once we have that, let's see the next slide, Alex. Then we're going to chart them. we got four quadrants. That first one, I'm going to call it the first one, upper left, open or public. Those are things that I say about me and you say about me. 
If you were here a few months ago, it was my 40th birthday, and y'all showed a video. So according to y'all, what goes in this first quadrant is sarcastic. That's what I know about me, and it's what you know about me. And so we put that there. I know that's who I am, and so do you. The second quadrant, upper right, I'm going to call that the second. Those are things that I'm blind to. That's the lettuce in my teeth. Those are things that you write down that I don't write down. So again, based on the video, what I would write there is no fashion sense. And that's what I would put in that category. And then down here in the bottom left, I'm going to call that the fourth quadrant, the hidden one. Those are things that I know about me that you don't. And I'm not going to tell you. That bottom right mystery, I don't get that. That's things that you don't know about me and I don't know about me, so I don't know how things ever get written there. I think they just, I think they just wanted a square. So this is what we would do, and you would have your adjectives all placed. And if you, it would be helpful if you want to do this, I would say get, see if you can get five to eight people who love you and love God to, to do that and see how things lay out. And it will let you see how other people perceive you. They'll be able to say, hey, like you may say, well, I think I'm witty. And nobody else writes that down. (laughs) So you're either, that's either a hidden quality that you have yet to reveal to us, or you might be mistaken. So either way, so you do that. So what what is that? For us, if I want to grow as a person, if I want to grow as a Christian, for us collectively, if we want to see our community transformed, if you go to the next one, Alex, we need that first quadrant to be huge. That's, that's maturity. That's living with integrity. That's what's in me is coming out of me, and it's good. That it, you can, I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm aware of the areas where I need to grow. There's, there's a transparency and vulnerability in me. There's very little hypocrisy. That's what I want. I want very little hypocrisy. If, I'm, if hypocrisy is wearing a mask, the more, the bigger this first quadrant gets, the smaller my mask becomes. Because you can see. You can see who I really am and what I'm projecting, for lack of a better word, is true to who I am. And so I want to grow in that. I want my first quadrant to get huge and not just for me. I want other people. I want your quadrant to get huge as more and more of us live more and more fully in that first quadrant where there's less and less hypocrisy in our hearts. Then the tree, our community will get healthier as the as we as the quality of our relationships improve and strengthen then we will begin to see the fruit that we want to see. We're addressing the tree now and not just the fruit. The gospel travels best along relational lines. Discipleship is inherently a relational process. So as the quality of our relationships improve, kind of by definition or by default, it clears the way for the gospel and for discipleship to happen at a greater and greater level. We'll begin to see all of these behaviors that I mentioned earlier will begin to be addressed, not necessarily because we're going after the behaviors directly, but because we're going after relationships. I was in Nicaragua. They say it's the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. I don't know if that's true. It seemed like it to me. 
And people who study poverty, there's absolutely a material dimension. But they say ultimately poverty is a poverty of relationship. That's what people are missing. And that causes all of these myriad problems that we see associated with people not having enough money. They don't have the relational network to help them work through obstacles and difficulties. As our relationships improve, we will begin to see things in our community change. So the question becomes, well, how do I do that? How do I get my quadrant one big? Well, I've got to get the blind spot smaller, and I've got to get the hidden part smaller. I need both of those things to shrink. As we go through this, I want dual challenge. Keep up with both of this. See if you can do both at the same time. Dual challenge. One, how do I become the kind of person whose quadrant one gets bigger? So how do I personally grow? I want to grow me. I want my quadrant one to get bigger. Second part, I also want to be the kind of person who helps John Will's quadrant one get bigger. I want to grow, and I want to be the kind of guy who can help other people grow. So it's a dual challenge. It's not just about my growth. It's not just about yours. I want both. Let me be the kind of guy who grows, and let me be the kind of guy who helps other people grow. So lettuce in my teeth. That's my blind quadrant. It's the stuff that needs to be called out. Quick poll. How many of you, we go to lunch afterwards. I'm going to order pizza. It's going to have pepperonis. It's going to have little black things on the bottom. Some of it gets stuck in my teeth. Who in here tells me? Raise your hand. And so the rest of you are kind. That's good for me to... No, no, I'm joking. There's a much higher degree. At 9 o'clock, 90% of the people are like, I'm telling you, very few. So I don't know. Maybe that makes y'all nicer than the 9 o'clock congregation. I don't know. It's not about nice and not nice. It's about love. At some point, I don't floss after every meal. And so if you don't tell me I've got black stuff in my teeth, I'm going the rest of the day with black stuff in my teeth. I need you to tell me. And I also need to be the kind of guy who you can tell. I need to be the kind of guy who can receive that without getting defensive or without getting embarrassed, without saying, well, I'm never going to lunch with you again. Both of those things are important. We all have blind spots, and we need mirrors. We need people who help us see the things that we can't. Sometimes it's good things. When I have, we do this uh, thing where we help people figure out their deal and their calling. And one of the things we say is, look back. Tell us where, where's the fruit. Where have you had success? What comes easily to you? What do people ask you to do? And that question stumps people all the time. I'm not good at anything. I don't see any fruit. Nobody ever asked me for anything. It's not true. It's very difficult for some people to look in their own life, to look back and say, hey, this is, this is the way God's gifted me. This is what I'm good at. This is what I bring to the table. It's hard for some people to recognize that. And it's great to have people in your life say, I see this in you. And it's a strength. God wants to use it. Oftentimes, when someone holds up a mirror, it's stuff that we don't necessarily want to see. But it's stuff that we need to see. It's the gaps between who we are and who Jesus wants us to become. I mentioned I was in Nicaragua. The second time I went, this year we met the pastor. Last year the pastor of the church that we went to was out of was out of the country. And there's a lot of commonality between what they're doing and what we're doing. His favorite verse is Ephesians 2.10, which is one of our core verses. Their church is called The Bridge. We're called Stone Bridge. There's a lot of areas in which he seems to be empowering people to live out their calling. But I found myself, after a couple of days, going, I don't really like him very much. He's kind of aloof. He's genuine. 
but he seems kind of aloof. He doesn't necessarily pull anybody in. I don't think he even knows my name. He just, he just kind of wanders through and does his thing, and then he leaves. And I found myself kind of going, I don't want to. And then on Monday, on Wednesday, I woke up, and this was my thought. He's you. He's you. You're the same way. You don't know anybody's name. You totally come across as aloof. You just wander through and do your thing. You're genuine when you talk to people. When you talk to people. It's me. Lettuce in my teeth. I need to see that. And then I decided, you know what? He's the best pastor I've ever met. (laughs) Second best. So anyway, there has to be this thing that says I can see the places, some of which are sin, and I need to repent of. Some are immature, and I need to grow. Some it's just me. It's just the way God made me. But regardless, I need to see those things. I need to know how I'm perceived. Because it may not line up with what's in my heart. And I need people who love me enough who can say, hey, this is the thing. Now, there's some people who love telling you that you have lettuce in your teeth. They live for it. Don't be that person. If you're a hypocrite, I'm not going to hear you. If you can't see the log in your own eye, then you're in no position to pull the speck out of mine. You're going to hurt me. Because you can't see clearly. So there's got to be enough self-awareness in your heart to be able to then come to me. I want to be the kind of guy that you can come to. I want to have enough humility about me that I can say I'm not perfect. I recognize my ultimate desire is to be as much like Jesus as possible, and I'm not there yet. So I need to grow. And I want to have enough humility that you can come to me and say, hey, here's some stuff. Here's some places where you need to grow. It may be an immaturity issue. It may be a sin issue. Ultimately, it may just be your personality, but I want to tell you these things. And you need to be the kind of person who can deliver that to me in a way that I can hear. There needs to be... So the first thing I would say is pray. Before you come and talk to me, you pray that God would help you feel about me the way he does. If you develop that heart of compassion, then you're not going to come to me looking to tear me down. You're not going to come to me saying, I told you so. You're not going to come to me and try to fix me. You're going to come to me with a heart of compassion that's broken for me and says, hey, I see this. Ask God to open the door for you. I'm not an open door, closed door guy. But when it comes to this, I am because words are so powerful. And I would say if you feel like there's something that you need to say, not because I'm special, but because I am created in the image of God just like everyone else, you need to ask, God, is this something that needs to be addressed? And am I the one to do it? Then then open the door. Give me an opportunity. I'll step through it, but you give me the opportunity. And he will. And it will, it will. it's still difficult to actually form the words and say them. But when there's an open door, it's much easier to walk through it. And I would say be vulnerable. That's kind of the hypocrite thing. Lead with vulnerability. Don't come to me with how you've got it all together. Don't come to me in a condescending way. Come to me with someone who says, listen, we're all growing. I've wrestled in this area. I see you're trying to do well. I just want you to know this is maybe something for you to think about. Come to me with vulnerability. I'll be much more willing to hear. The goal is not for you to be right. The goal is for me to grow. And if I can't hear you, it's not going to happen. Sometimes in the church, we let ourselves off the hook. And we say, my job is just to deliver the message. Your job is to sift it. It's your job to find the nugget of gold amidst all of these things that I'm saying. And there is truth to that. If you love me, it would be great if you did some sifting on the front end as well. And that's what I would like to do to you. So 
First thing, blind spot. I want to be the kind of guy who you can come to and say, let me tell you something. And I also want to be the kind of guy who can go to you and say the same thing. Hidden. Those are skeletons in your closet. Sometimes it's good stuff. Usually it's not. It's usually, occasionally there's some things we have strengths and for whatever reason we're unwilling to show those. Maybe because we're really shy. Maybe because uh, we've been burned in the past. Oftentimes these things are um, stuff we're ashamed of. And so we keep those things hidden. We don't want anybody else to know because if they knew, dot, 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 dot. So if that's you, if you've got stuff in that hidden quadrant, for you to grow, you need a light. I need somebody who's willing to get in there with me, someone who's safe enough for me to talk with. So if you're judgmental, I'm not going to share with you. If you're a hypocrite, I'm not going to hear you when you tell me there's lettuce in your teeth, in my teeth, because I'm going to say, you too. If you're judgmental, I'm not going to share with you because I don't want to hear it. And I definitely, if you're a gossip, am not going to tell you because I don't want to hear it all over town. You've got to be safe. Are you the kind of person who's safe for other people to talk to? Are you the kind of person that someone can say to you, hey, I've never told anybody this, but I'm going to tell you, I had lunch or breakfast with a guy the other day, and I've known him for 28 years is what he said. And we sat down, and he talked for an hour and 15 minutes, didn't even take a breath, just talked. And what he was saying is here's all the stuff, all of the hang-ups, all of the bondage, all of the shame from the last, since I was 12. That's not, I didn't know that's why we were going to breakfast. And part of me was like, well, I'm glad he was willing to share with me. And then part of me goes, I've known you for 28 years, and you had to carry this stuff for that long. I want to be the kind of guy that people can come to and say, I trust you. I can share this with you. Part of that is when people tell you stuff, you can't look shocked. If you look shocked, they're done. You've got to figure out how to do that, how to have an unshockable face. It's true. If I tell you something and you get a look of horror on your face, it doesn't matter what you say to me. Like, you've already judged me based on what I'm seeing right here. Think about rainbows and butterflies. But you can't be shocked. There's got to be this part of you that says, you can tell me, and I'm not going to be hypercritical of you. And I'm not going to tell anybody else. And I've got to be the kind of guy who's willing to take a risk. It's always risky to be vulnerable. There's never an appropriate time. It always is an intentional step to share, to open the door and say, I'm going to let you in. I'm going to show you the skeletons. And I've got to be the kind of guy who's willing to take a risk to actually do that. I want to be one who's safe for you to share with, which means I can't be judgmental. And I also want to be the kind who's willing to take a risk and share with somebody else, even if I've been burned in the past. That's not a good enough excuse. I always think of Jesus washing Judas' feet, even though he knew Judas was going to betray him. He continued to bring, try to pull Judas in. And so you, I want to be the kind of guy who's willing to take a risk in relationship, even if somebody were to betray me. That's no excuse for me to then isolate myself Moving forward. So if, you, if this is your area, if you've got some stuff that's hidden, those are some things I would encourage you to do. Now I'm going to pray, and I want you to follow me in this prayer, and I'm going to read one more thing from Luke um, out loud. So I'm just close your eyes. I want you to 
kind of walk with me through this. If some things resonate in your heart, you can pray these things along with me in your heart. If not, you can just pray for others who are experiencing these things. God, my desire, our desire, and I think it's your desire, is that we would be this new community. Community is a noun. It's something that we, the verb is love. We want to see community, then we've got to begin to love each other. It doesn't magically appear. And God, we want to love each other well. And we want to love our enemies well. And we confess it is not easy. And God, we thank you that you've given us your spirit. You don't say do it on your own. You don't say pray for those who persecute you in your own strength. You say just let me ask. I'll empower you to do that. I'll empower you to forgive. I'll empower you to bless. I'll empower you to give. I'll empower you to not be hypercritical. I'll give you compassion. So, Lord, first we want to lean on you fully. This whole idea of loving each other and loving our community well, we want to recognize we can't do that apart from you. And, God, I want to say as the pastor of the church here that I recognize relationships are key. If we want to see our community transformed, we need a healthy tree. And at least a part of that, I think a big part of that, is healthy relationships. We live in a community where relationships are superficial, where many people feel isolated. And we want to see that change so that ultimately people don't have to go 28 years without sharing. People don't wait till they're at the brink of divorce before they tell somebody, hey, I'm hurting over here. We don't watch somebody self-destruct before we step in and say, hey, this is not good. I don't even know fully what I'm asking. I don't know what the results are. But, God, we, we want to see healthy relationships here among us, flowing out from us to others. So, God, help each one of us to get big in that quadrant one. We want to be open. We want to be transparent. We want to be vulnerable. So, two things. One, God, I pray you bring conviction in that blind spot area. One, God, are there any of us who we can't, we have too much pride or we're too defensive or we're too insecure where people can't tell us the truth. If you felt conviction, then you just pray this. Say, God, I confess. That's me. I don't want to hear it if I've got lettuce in my teeth. I confess that to you as pride or insecurity, whatever it is. And I don't want to do that anymore. I'm asking God for humility, thinking rightly of myself, not too high, not too low. And God, I pray you put within me a desire to be like your son that is stronger than any desire to preserve my reputation or my image. God, I pray you bring conviction to any of us who are not, we're hypocrites. We're not in a position to help other people grow. We're not in a position to help other people see the places where You're wanting to work in their life. We have a log in our own eye. 
And so we're not in a position to help anybody with the speck in theirs. If you feel conviction or in that same thing, God, I confess, that's me. I don't think of myself as a hypocrite, but I am. And I confess these areas, and you can list them, these logs in my own eye that prevent me from helping other people. Again, I'm insecure, I'm overly aggressive, I'm angry, I like to be right. I'm hard-hearted, I don't have compassion, whatever that is. And I confess that to you, and God, I pray that you would make me the kind of guy who doesn't just speak the truth, but who speaks it with grace and in love. Hidden. God, I pray for any of us here who have skeletons and we've never shared. God, I pray you bring conviction in those areas. We're isolating ourselves from the body. We're isolating ourselves from your grace. We're choosing to live in shame and condemnation. There's no reason for it. The Lord convicts you, then just pray this. God, I confess I have this thing. And the reason I hadn't told anybody is because I don't want to tell anybody. It's too embarrassing. It's too painful. I got too much to lose. But I need help. This thing's killing me. It's a weight around my neck. It affects every relationship that I have. You got to show me. Who do I share? Show me. Whatever name came to your mind, grab onto that. God, show me. Who's safe? And then commit, God, I'm going to share it before the week's over. I'm going to tell them. Last, God, I pray you bring conviction for any of us who are judgmental or who gossip. None of us admit that either, but I pray you bring conviction if we're gossipers or if we're hypercritical. If God convicted you of that, just again, God, I confess, that's me. I'm not safe. I'm not a safe place for people. People come to me, and maybe I don't even realize it, but I blab their stuff. People come to me, and rather than being broken for them, looking for opportunities to help and pray, it makes me feel better about myself. God, I pray that you would give me a heart of compassion for people's brokenness. God, I pray I would be a safe place for folks to share. If I'm going to tell anybody about anything, I'm going to tell you. It will be fuel for prayer and not news to go tell anybody else. God, we want as a community to love well. So help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read you this. It's the last few verses of this introduction to this new community. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? He's speaking to people who hear, and now he's saying, I need something else. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do these words is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house 
was great. So ultimately what Jesus is saying is it's not enough just to know. It's not enough to hear. At some point, we've got to put into practice. We have to do. And if you doing that, that's building your house on the rock. Ultimately, obedience to him is the only sure foundation. He's the rock. We're building our lives upon anything, anything else when the difficulties come. Our house is going to crumble. Our life is going to crumble. We're going to do a, a Houston Coley. It's going to be baptized this morning. And baptism is really a public declaration that says, I'm building my house on the rock. And so as Houston comes forward, you can come on to be baptized. There's a couple of things I want you thinking about. One, I want you to, if you're on the aisle, I think it's the inside aisle, reach under your chair. There's a note card. I want you to grab a note. There's a stack of note cards. I want you to grab one. And I want you to pass the rest of the stack down. And on top of your card, I want you to write Houston. We believe God speaks to the body through the body. At Jesus' baptism, the Father says, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And we believe God wants to speak to Houston today. You might not know Houston at all. I almost hit you in the face. But um, God knows him very well. And God wants to encourage him today. And he wants to do that through you. So as we're praying for Houston, you're praying too. And you're saying, God, what do you want to say to Houston through me? And then you're just writing that on the card. And when you leave, there'll be a bucket, and you can drop that card in the bucket. We'll make Houston gets all, make sure Houston gets all of them. The second thing I want you thinking about, this idea of building your house, your life, on the rock. Houston's saying, I'm in. That's what I'm doing. And as he's being baptized, I'd encourage you to be thinking through your own life. Are there places where I'm not building my house on the rock? Are there places where I don't have a strong foundation? I'm trying to do things in my own strength. My finances, in a particular relationship, when it comes to my future, there's some place where rather than actually doing the words of Jesus, I'm doing what I want and trying to figure things out and make things happen on my own. And if God convicts you of that, just as even as we're doing this baptism, just confess, God, that's, I did it. I'm doing that. This is a place where I'm not trusting you, where I'm choosing to trust myself and repent of that even as he is being baptized. Good? All right, I'm going to turn things over to David Scott. He's our student pastor, and he'll take things from here.